incredible. Well, welcome to church. Good morning, Yuel. Our, uh, our team actually wrote that song too. How good is Nick? That's great. Well, awesome. Well, go ahead, grab your seat, grab your seat. Welcome to church. Obviously today, this Sunday, is a bit of a unique Sunday. Uh, it is a youth takeover Sunday, which is exciting. And uh, we have summer camp coming up. Summer camp, it's, uh, it's incredible. Always hard to articulate what God does at camp. And um, man, the presence of God showing up. It's funny, people will get like a, a bit cheeky with it. Like, oh, the presence of God is there. And like, oh, well, God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. It's like, no, that's not what we mean when we say that. What we mean is that the manifest presence of God shows up. It's hard to articulate that, the impact that it has uh, on students' lives when they come in and they experience the presence of God for the first time and it becomes real for them. Not their parents, not their grandparents, but real for them. And so we can't wait for camp. Um, if you know anybody in that age range, get them at the camp this year. And uh, I wanna give a quick quick shout out, quick honor uh, to our lead pastor, Pastor Jesse. Thank you. Come on, let's clap for Pastor Jesse. I love him. You know, he's, uh, he's not only... He's my boss. He's not only my boss, but he's also, uh, he's also my pastor. And uh, without him, I, I would not be here today. Uh, he's believed in, in me and, and youth ministry and just has, it's weird, churches. There's churches that tolerate youth ministry. You know what I'm saying? It's like, there's the youth team again, you know, doing something crazy. But our church, our leadership team and, and Pastor Jesse and Pastor Judah, um, man, they champion our youth ministry, and it's incredible to be a part of that. I, I remember leading with Pastor Jesse. I, I, I got saved um, in, in high school, and Pastor Jesse at the time was leading a recovery group because that's what he does. He's just was like, yeah, I'll lead a recovery group, and he's like, hey, you're gonna come in, and you're gonna lead with me, and I was like, I don't know about that. This doesn't seem like a great idea, and he's like, no, you're, 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 you're gifted. You're anointed. Let's do it, so we sat down, and I was leading this recovery group with Pastor Jesse, and the one week, you were like, hey, you're leading tonight. I was like, really? So I do the study with him, and I remember Vince, one of the guys in the group, was like, basically said, well, if he's doing this, I can do this. And I remember, like, that was not a vote of confidence. I was like, man, I am, I am not good at this. And so and Pastor Jesse corrected him and was like, believed in me and encouraged me. And so, Pastor Jesse, thank you. I love you. I think you're the greatest pastor in the world, and uh, appreciate you big time. So you ready for the word? Yeah. All right, let's do it. 2 Samuel 5, 22 through 23. That's gonna be our key verse this morning. I also wanna give a quick shout out to all the youth leaders, actually. All the youth leaders are so incredible. Past, present, all the future youth leaders. Hello. Um, they, will, uh, they will be here Wednesday night around 10 o'clock setting up chairs, the chairs that you're sitting in. And we'll, we'll come up here and we'll get down front here and we'll share all that God did on Wednesday night and we'll celebrate and we'll laugh. But, you know, every Wednesday night, there are about 50 to 60, uh, 18 to 30-year-olds who come here who give up their Wednesday night to sow into the next generation, to encourage, to lead, to deal with drama and issues. And uh, some of you youth leaders know. And so... But they encourage and they pray and they just serve so faithfully. So we can clap for all the youth leaders. They're incredible. All right, let's do it. Second Samuel 5, 22 through 23. It says, once more, the Philistines came up 
and spread out in the valley of Repairum. So David inquired of the Lord. That's going to be our key verse, our key phrase. You can go ahead and highlight that, underline that. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered. Don't go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful. We're thankful for your grace and your goodness and your love and your faithfulness on our lives. Lord, for every person sitting in these seats this morning who showed up at church, I don't know why they showed up this morning, God, but I know you do. That's to connect with them. That's to speak with them right where they're at. God, will we be reminded of your faithfulness and your love for each one of us. No matter if we've had a great week or a terrible week, God, you remain faithful. You remain steadfast. You remain unchanging. God, so we're grateful for this time together. Let us lean in to hear your voice. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. We were talking this week about our most embarrassing moments. You have some embarrassing moments. I don't know if this is true, but I think we can like block out embarrassing moments in our lives. Like we can kind of try to forget things that happen. But I remember uh, one, of the, one of my more embarrassing moments, actually you guys might've been there for this. I came up to do an offering talk and I, I was going through my verse and I thought I was reading from the ESV, but I was reading from the ASV. Now, if you know your translations, that is a very different translation. And so I'm, I'm reading this verse, and it's like thous and theys and all these different, and I'm, I'm stumbling through it. And Pastor John's in the front row. He's just laughing at me, and he knows it's off. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I said, church, I'm sorry. This is not the right translation. But here's what the verse is. And so that was really embarrassing. But I think that my most embarrassing moment was uh, I was serving as the stage director, and Pastor Eric was preaching. And uh, Pastor Jesse was in the front row. And uh, so basically the stage directors, you take out the podium and you make sure that they have their notes in the water. And so Pastor Eric was finishing up his sermon. I don't know if you remember this, Pastor E, but he's preaching and it's coming to a close. And so he's doing his end salvation prayer and his podium's here. I think it was this podium. And he's finishing up. Everyone has their head bowed, eye closed. And I go up, I'm like, okay, I gotta move the podium now. So I walk up to the front of the stage right here and I grab the podium to move it. And Pastor E, grabs it and and he looks at me and I'm looking at him and I'm like, am, am I not supposed to be taking this right now? And so I'm pulling and he's pulling back on it and so I, I'm holding it, I turn back, I look at Pastor Jesse, he's just looking at me. I'm beat red, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the worst. So I go, I sit back down, I said, well that's it for me in ministry, you know? No future in the church anymore. I tried to take Pastor E's podium. But we have those moments. We have those moments where, you know, we, can, we, we laugh about it. But those feelings of incompetence, the, the, those feelings of failure, those feelings like, oh, my gosh, I missed the mark. I've messed up. I've made this mistake. And so we, the, there's embarrassing moments. But then there's moments that, like, generally before God, we have that moment where, like, man, I've failed and I've messed up and I've missed the mark. And, and we have that feeling of incompetence, and it can affect the way that you see yourself, the lens in which you view yourself and life. I was laughing with, uh, uh, with April. We were, we were driving this past week, and uh, I had the GPS, and I'm watching my GPS. And I, I remember when April, April used to do the GPS, and I, she used to try to uh, direct me. Marriage advice, that was not helpful for us. 
All right, it would just end in an argument and end in a fight. And I remember I used to get mad. I'm like, hey, bro, you got to tell me sooner. When do I turn? What exit do I take? And she's like, I'm telling you. And, like, you know, it was, like, it was problematic for our marriage. And uh, I realized one time I was driving up to a sign. I'm like, man, they have to make the, the, the font on these signs bigger. And I, it hit me. I go, oh, my gosh, I, I think I need glasses. I've been yelling in April this whole time. I need glasses. But it's interesting how, how, we, how the lens, how we see life, the lens in which we see life, when we have those moments of failure and mess up and sin and where we miss the mark, it can affect the way that we view life. I mean, right now, if you turn on a news channel, there will be one news station that is like, uh, we're not going to make it. We are not gonna make it, just give up hope, just go home, there's nothing that you can do, we are, this is bad, and then you flip the channel, just one channel over, and uh, there's a news anchor who's just like, man, I don't think it could be better. We are crushing it, this is great, and so you have, the, the, the way that you see life can be affected by the things that you do, but I wanna remind you this morning, church, that even when you are at your worst, God's love for you does not change. God's love for you is not predicated on your actions. Like, it, we, we get to this point where we think, oh my gosh, if God knew that I did this, he wouldn't have saved me. To, to think that God didn't know already. To think that God didn't know your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins. I want to remind you what it says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us at your worst Christ loves you. And when you miss the mark, fall short, mess up, God's love is still on your life. Romans 8, 37 through 39, know in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, you can clap for Jesus. So when we have the lens of failure, mess up, mistakes, God has the lens of, hey, more than a conqueror because the Holy Spirit abides in you, because if God is for you, who can be against you? Even at your worst, God loves you and he's for you. I wanna look at three quick encounters in our remaining time together of people encountering God, what they come with and then what they leave with. The first one is the woman by the well, John 4. A lot of you might be familiar with this, but John 4, we're gonna walk through this verse. And uh, it says, now he had to go through Samaria. So when he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot ground of J Jacob, had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. I wanna stop there for a moment. I, I, my encouragement for you is 
God is inexhaustible. Like every Sunday that you walk through these doors, worship should be something that excites you. I think we can get into a routine where we're like, oh, okay, it's Sunday morning, I'm gonna go to church again. But, but if you've been continually pursuing God and getting revelation from God, every time you walk into church, man, it will be different. Why? Because you've grown in your knowledge and understanding of God. The well is deep. God is inexhaustible. You only worship God for who you know him to be. You only worship God for who you know him to be. And so if you're walking in here, and you're like, oh, here comes Pastor Caleb and the team again, and, and we're just gonna lead some songs. No, no, you should be like, oh my gosh, man, I got this revelation from God. I was in scripture this week, and God was speaking to me, and man, I can't believe how big and how glorious and how mighty and how sovereign, how amazing our God is. The well is deep. It says, uh, sir, you have nothing to, to draw from with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I, can, so that I won't get thirsty and have been coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband, and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, is you have five husbands, and the man you now with is not your husband. What you, ha what you have said is quite true. So she's had five husbands. Uh, five is the number of grace. And so here, this woman, maybe at her worst, maybe at her lowest, feeling of incompetence and failure, is in need of grace and shows up to grace personified in Jesus. And the man she's with now, not her husband, and so Jesus would be the seventh man in this story, and that's the number of completion. And so now this woman stands before Jesus, needing grace, standing in front of grace personified and the one who will actually complete her. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that this place where we must worship in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit and worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asks, what do you want or why are you talking with her? When you hear the voice of God in your life, when that's the loudest voice, the voices of criticism often diminish. When you're reminded of who you are, I, I work with youth and, and like insecurity is probably the number one thing, right Jay? I mean, we, the, it was funny, April, my wife comes to youth and we got, we got four kids and twins, they're actually one yesterday. Come on church, I made it a whole year, praise God. <laughs> I'm hanging on. Okay, so um, 
So she, she comes in, and she's not as involved as she was, but, you know, she still gives me the best feedback and, and, and encouragement and, and sometimes, you know, just honesty, you know, like, hey, how was the preach? And like, ah, it's not your best. I'm like, oh, okay, great. So, um, so glad you're here. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, she uh, she was telling me that she was going into the into the bathroom, and and people don't know who she is at, at youth right now. And so, but all the girls are kind of like looking at her, giving her looks, like, oh, who are you? And she's like, hi. You know, my wife is is so sweet, but. But insecurity, you know, it's prevalent even here on a Wednesday. And what we're trying to do is give them the word of God. This generation of who God says they are, not the world. Because the world will leave them feeling insecure. Because what's, what, what, when your security is predicated on what you do, it's going to leave you unfulfilled and insecure. But when it comes from Jesus, the word of God, the truth of the word of God, we're going to see a generation that is secure in knowing who they are in Christ. Amen? Come see a man. It says, uh, then leaving her her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I just did. Ever did. Ever did. I think we could become such prisoners of the moment. When we have that feeling of shame and guilt and failure and incompetence of missing the mark, we we become prisoners of that moment of just thinking, oh, this is now who I am. I am defined by this mistake. I am defined by this failure. And then we can carry that in our spirit. A few months ago, I, I came home. My, my Isla, she's five now. She's the, my sweet, I mean, just the sweetest girl in the whole world, just so genuine and kind and caring and sharing. And then my Esme. <laughs> she's insane. And so she's my crazy child, my wild child, and I, I love her for it. It's incredible. So when I come home, usually Esme's in trouble. Usually Esme's the one in time out or pouting or crying. So I come home this, this, one, this one day after work, and I walk in, and I see Isla's in the corner crying. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's pace this out. Let's see what's happening. So I go, hey, apes, hey, yes, you know, hey, guys. And, uh, you know, hi, Isla. And, she, you know, she's crying in the corner. So I look at April, I go, so what's going on? Well, Isla's in trouble. I can see that. What did she do? Well, she called me an idiot. I go, that's good. She's in trouble then. That is unacceptable. But the way Isla deals with things is like she takes it to the heart. She's sweet, and so she's sensitive, and so she carries it. So for the rest of the night, for the next about five hours, she cried. I mean, it was like at the time where Isla, stop crying, please. I'm about to, you're about to get in trouble for crying so much. More, it was too much. And so finally, I get her to bed. She literally cries all night until the moment she falls asleep. She was devastated with herself. And so the next morning, she woke up, and she was just happy as a clam. She totally forgot about it. She was like, hey, what's for breakfast? I want pancakes. Like, we're not having pancakes. And so they, you know... <laughs> a little glimpse into my life there. And so uh, <laughs> she totally forgot about it. I didn't. But my love for her did not change. From that moment I walked into the door and heard what she did, it wasn't like I'm like, oh, well, she's not my daughter anymore. 
we gotta get we gotta get rid of her. Like that didn't happen. Which reminds me, I don't know if my dad's watching right now, but my dad did that at the dinner table once when we were growing up. And all of us cried. Bert, you remember it, you were there. Oh, Bert didn't cry. But everybody else cried. Everybody else was crying. I was crying. My mom even started crying. That was mean, Dad. <laughs> All right, Mom, I'm getting off my notes. Okay, so um, may God's love, though, it does not change. It's steadfast. It's constant. And in our failures and mistakes at our worst, I, I just want to remind you that the, this is what makes Christianity distinct. It's not us working our way up to God. It's God coming down to us. It's grace personified in Jesus, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness. This is the God that we serve. So this woman comes with her shame, her failures, her, her mishaps, and meets grace, and she leaves, and she starts evangelizing, telling everybody about the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Our next person that encounters God is David. And this is from a bit of a different angle here, but I, I want you to stay with me. Verse 17 is, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come up and spread out in the valley of Capernaum. So David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered, go, for I will surely de deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Belperzum, and then there he defeated them. And he says, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Belperzum. The Philistines abandoned their idols, and David and his men carried them off. David is in a place of victory. He's defeated his enemies. He's won the war. He's beaten the Philistines. The battle has been won. Verse 22, it says, Once more the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Capernaum. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, Don't go straight up, but circle around back and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of the marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean that the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike down the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gideon to, to, to Gazar. David was in a place of victory. He was in a place of victory, not failure, not mess-ups, that, that, that is in David's life. But here he's at a place of victory, and he inquires of the Lord. In victory, with the lens of victory, he looks to the Lord. I would contend in the just a few minutes we have left, is that you might not be at your worst in your failures, mistakes, and shortcomings, but you could be at your worst in your victory and in your success. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the worst thing that can happen to a man is to succeed before he is ready. I think what Lloyd-Jones is articulating is that when a man succeeds and he's not ready, pride can build in his life. Pride can build in our lives. When we stop looking through the lens of God getting the victory and we think we get the victory. The antagonist um, in the story of Jesus is, is pretty unique 
is the Pharisees. The, the person that Jesus is, is kind of in contention with, the antagonist, the one that's always butting heads with Jesus, is the religiously successful people. The people that like, they have it all together, Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, vipers, hypocrites, fools, blind. They have it all together on the outside, yet pride dominates their life. Matthew 23, I don't have enough time to go through the whole thing, but talks about their hypocrisy. They love the place of honor at the banquet and the most important seats in the synagogue. Their garments are long, and they love the place of honor at banquets and the more important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and all you are brothers. Do not call anyone our father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Jesus is warning his disciples about the outside, having it all together, having those wins, but pride dominating a person's life. James 4, 6 says, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Proverbs 16, 6 says, the Lord detests all the proud of heart, but be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Proverbs eleven two says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Psalms 10, verse four, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him, in all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Galatians 6, 1 through 3, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore them, that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. I always thought that verse was talking about the sin that the person is in. But I think what that verse is actually saying is it's about pride. It's about you going up to somebody in your world who's struggling and missing the mark and you, you, you get the lens of, oh man, they don't have it all together, but I do. Oh, this is about me helping them instead of going, hey, let the Holy Spirit use me to restore them, to pray for them, to, to encourage them. And, and then you start thinking, oh, but this is about me though. Look how good I am. I have it all together. I'm crushing it. And Paul's going, hey, that's gonna, that might cause you to stumble there. Restoring somebody may cause you to well up with pride. How do we see if, if pride is in our lives? I think one is the focus of your joy, security, and contentment on what you can do, on your accomplishments, your victories. It's all about me. I've got it all together, and so I'm good. And so is that, is that what's leading you in pride? Is that what's leading your, your, your security and your identity? Or is it knowing who you are in Christ? Who is the focus of your service? Me, I wanna look good. I show up at church on Sunday, I serve, I help people out. Or is it about glorifying God? Is it not about you? It's not about how you look or how you're perceived. It's about making much of Jesus. Or this is the last one is, who's sin? are you focused on? Is it everyone else? Does everyone else's sin bother you? And you never look in the mirror to go, hey, you know what, maybe I don't have it all together. Maybe I, I still need to work on some things. Maybe God is still sanctifying, the Holy Spirit is still working. A am I just focused on what everyone else is doing? Or am I humbly coming before the Lord and going, hey Lord, search my heart. 
Where am I missing the mark? Where, where am I falling short? I don't want pride to take over here. I want it all to be about Jesus, glorifying him, making much of him. What can happen in your, in your life is you'll have some victories. You'll have wins. But not to look in the mirror and go, hey, it's all about me, but to look up to heaven and go, man, it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. Would he get all the glory? And what David does in this verse isn't what the Pharisees do. What David does is he gets the win and he inquires again. 2 Samuel 5, 23, so David inquired of the Lord and he answered. David inquired of the Lord again. David encountered with God and his response is what I wanna, I wanna, I wanna meet with him again. I want a fresh revelation again. I wanna hear his voice again. The well is deep. The well is deep. And David is coming off a huge win. What he does off that win is he returns to the Lord. The woman by the well encounters Jesus and she leaves praising God and evangelizing, shows up at her worst in her sin, in her, in her shame. And she has this God encounter and it changes everything. The Pharisees, they show up in their, in their religious elitism. Their, their, their wins, their, their long tassels, having it all together, but they leave with their pride. Most Pharisees, they, they don't see it because it's all about them and what they can do and how they look. Everyone else has sinned, but never their own. And David shows up and he has this win and he inquires of the Lord again in his victory, in his success. What I love about David is when you read the Psalms, Psalms 22, and you have these, these Psalms of lament, you have David in these defeat and these sin and these shortcomings, and he goes to the Lord in his failures and mess ups. And then David goes to the Lord in his victories, and he inquires of the Lord. My encouragement for you this morning, church, is that you will encounter Jesus, inquire the Lord again. No matter what kind of lens you're wearing, how you're seeing life right now, whether this past year has been your best year or your worst year, whether you're at a place where you're like, man, I'm doing amazing, or you feel like you're the woman by the well and you're struggling, my encouragement for you is that you would seek the Lord, inquire of the Lord again. The well is deep and God is inexhaustible. Whether you have lens at your best or your worst, seek him, amen? Well, let me pray for you. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes. Maybe you're in here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never made then that decision to make him Lord and savior of your life. There is no better decision on planet earth than saying yes to Jesus. The Bible says for it is by grace through faith. Grace is unmerited favor. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You come to Jesus just as you are this morning. And whether you think you're doing amazing at life or you're struggling, you come as you are. And God will meet you right where you're at. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. It's that simple. It's that easy. You're going, hey, you know what? I believe Jesus is who he says he is that he came from heaven to earth, lived a perfect and sinless life, went to the cross for me, for my shortcomings, for my sin, for my mess ups, and three days later was raised back to life. If that's you, you wanna say, you know what, I wanna leave here changed. I wanna leave here not living for myself anymore, but living for God. I'm gonna ask you to repeat this prayer after me. We're all gonna say it together, but specifically if that's you, repeat this prayer after me. Come on church, say Jesus, here I am. I need your grace, I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. I want to follow you. 
all the days of my life. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, clap for Pastor Brian. Well done. Well, hey, listen, before you run out, if you said yes to Jesus, it is by far one of the greatest decisions you could ever make in your life. And we celebrate that. And we want to come alongside you. As you leave, there's going to be a team to your left holding these Bibles in their hands. They want to give you this resource. It's a copy of the New Testament. And, and uh, we want to help you in your journey. Um, I wanted to speak to you as a, as a church family. Many of you um, are aware of the United States Supreme Court um, ruling. And uh, I remember since I was a little boy being raised in the church, and I want to give you the perspective of something so you know how to walk. It's one thing to pray for change. It's another thing to, to walk in it. I think the way that you walk is the way that, as Pastor Brian says, the way you walk is the demonstration of how you see the king that you serve. And for us, as a spiritual family, the reason it's important to us is not because of our political affiliation. The reason it's important to us is because of the king that we serve and his final authority in Scripture. Now, you may not know this, but the Scripture says that life is valuable in the eyes of God. And it teaches that throughout the Scriptures in the Gospel of Luke and Psalms. And, and, Psalms. and, and so for us, that is the higher, highest priority, to value what God values. And so for as a family, and we are going to continue to come alongside the organizations that we support, Choices of the Heart, which helps um, early pregnancies. And we're going to stand with them financially and resource them as much as we can. But I want us as believers in Jesus Christ to celebrate things that honor God. Can you say amen? And so as a family, make sure that that we're learning to love those, love those who are even, the Bible says that we need to learn to love those that persecute us. And so there's a high task before us, but the Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome all of that. Amen. Come on, stand with me. Let me pray with you before you go today. Father, I thank you. Lift your hands, church. Let me pray with you. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness towards us. I thank you for a generation that's not being held in the gate and waiting for their time. I thank you that you release generations right now in the seasons we live, that every generation, even the unborn generation, is valuable in your eyes. And Father, I thank you that as a family we can learn to love one another as a demonstration of being sons and daughters of yours. Father, go before us in the seasons in which we live. Help us to honor one another, to love one another. Help us to stand beside those who today is the first time they've given their life to you. And Father, we celebrate that. Father, we pray for the strengthening of marriages in this environment. We pray for the strengthening of families in this environment. We pray for our nation. Father, may we continue to turn towards you and to honor you in all of our ways. Go with us as we go today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And a faith-filled church said, amen. Amen. God bless. Amen.